Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Why Not Both, brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. And Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. This week, we got to interview Marissa Nadler, who's an absolutely enchanting musician as well as visual artist. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and you can subscribe, of course. And you can also join us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that's on Instagram and on Twitter. And I hope that you love this week's interview. Welcome to Why Not Both. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So the whole conceit of the show is exactly what we were talking about before I hit record, which is doing a million and one things. <laughs> yep. So I guess my first question for you would be, what do you do? And is there a better question someone could ask you? Well, that question is always hard when people ask me that, but um, I am a musician and a fine artist, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's always hard to answer. I'm kind of terrible at talking about myself, but okay. <laughs> I'm as like surprisingly introverted, I think, for people. Uh, <laughs> well, and I think there's a difference between being introverted when you're in your personal space versus if you're performing a song or if you're putting out artwork like that's I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel almost completely different when it's just like a piece of myself instead of actually just like, oh, here's the whole me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious about your fine art, because I think most of the people tuning in will probably know you more as a musician. Yeah. Well, I went, I was predominantly a fine artist earlier in my life and went to the Rhode Island School of Design for a bachelor's and master's degree. Um, weirdly, I haven't done a lot of like the art publicly until the last few years. Hmm. And when you, when you say you didn't do it publicly, were you still practicing fine art more just on your own or was that something that then the music kind of overtook the time that you would spend making it or? Well, one of my odd jobs for the past like decade on and off, not the not the last few years, but for a good chunk of time, I was teaching fine art at a therapeutic high school. Oh, wow. When I was four. Um, yeah, so I worked with like children with and teenagers with, uh, you know, who had been put out of mainstream schools for a variety of reasons. And, mm -hmm. um, so I was teaching fine art on and off, but kind of was only doing the art when I had to do a demo or something. I wasn't really treating it seriously. Oh. And uh, then like I had, I had a 90 year old, I did some private painting lessons too. And this 90 year old woman that was taking lessons from me inspired me to kind of go more seriously back into my pursuits. Um, so now I've, in the past few years, started selling my paintings and kind of went seriously back into it for the first time since college, I think. Wow. Um, 
I'm curious because I was like, those are both really interesting populations to work with in context of the arts. And I was curious, like, what specifically about working with her inspired you to then really delve back into making your own art and then selling your art? Well, she was just so excited to learn something new, which in and of itself, I thought was really cool because she was 90 and Mm -hmm. a lot of people you meet when they're like 40 have already given up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they're like, oh, I wish that I knew how to learn an instrument or paint, but, and they just kind of blame it on talent or something, which is kind of a word I don't really love. Um, So she just, she kept raving about how she was seeing the world in a different way. Since I started to break it down into like light and color. And um, she just kind of got to me. And then I started to regret that I hadn't honored my practice more. Mm. um, Very serious little fine artist. And I think I just burnt out kind of. Um, for a while Mm. now once music became a job or a career a little bit more fine art became more of a relaxing thing Mm -hmm. well I've definitely heard that from other friends who have gone to art school where like because of the sheer intensity of it after a little while you're like I'm good for a second (laughs) (laughs) School. Yeah, it was intense. I just like you go from having an identity based surely around some skill that you've learned, and then you, I think maybe people go through little mini identity crises in college yes. trying to figure out who they are. And um, that's when I started to try. I, my earliest record was very much almost like a character study and a lot of other people. So, looking yeah. back on it, murder ballads and stuff like that. It's always the weirdest when you look back on something that you made from years ago and suddenly understand it much better. And you're like, oh, that, that, that's what that meant. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Lately, some lyrics like that I've had in very early records that seemed almost mythological have started to kind of come true in my life as. I'm not all that new agey really, but almost like premonitions or something. Yes. Like I find that sometimes I'll write a song that I'm like, well, that made no sense. Or like, oh, I don't know where that came from. And then a few years later, I'm like, there it is. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, yep. Yep. And that's, I love what you said about the woman that you were working with, that she saw things from a new perspective and that I love that attitude because you're right that there's a lot of people who will either say they're too old for Uh something. You okay? Just like doodling as I talk to you. (laughs) Ah, I think that's, oh my gosh. I remember I used to get in trouble when I was in school for doodling while I was listening to my teachers and I kept saying, no, like it helps me listen better. It's proven that it helps people also. I used to get in trouble for the same thing. I wish that I'd like grown up a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Where like people knew more about alternate learning styles, 
Yes. Uh, someone with ADHD with inattentive features, which was not diagnosed at all until I was an adult because <laughs> I was not in the least hyperactive. Um, it would have been real nice because that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about was that you ended up working with, uh, you were describing the teenagers you were working with. And I was like wondering what inspired you to work with that population as well. Um, well, I've always I like preferred working with teenagers than to young kids for some reason, just because I really want to make not like I just really love the seriousness of certain high school artists. It's, mm -hmm. it's a fun age that I kind of look back fondly on as um, an exciting time where you were like really, ex I was really excited when I would kind of get good at a, a specific fine art pursuit. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, these kids were just, I f the job was um, mostly teaching painting and drawing like art, uh, ceramics, photography, computer mm -hmm. art, like all that stuff. But I just, I think because of my, I guess, prefer to work with struggling kids because I had like my fair share of emotional issues as a teenager and I didn't really grow up in a generation where that was really that talked about like being kind of a freak in a normal high school mm -hmm. public school yeah so I think I can just relate to that yes um, yeah and I love that you chose to, instead of, I think that some people might either become bitter about that or kind of clam up, but it sounds like you're like, I'd like to give people who are in the same situation an alternative and teach them ways to express themselves. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Like I got a few kids in a college art school, hey. which I sometimes feel guilty about, but you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> thing to do or I don't know but yeah I had a few really special students Aww. and um you know like as my career kind of I had kind of a phase two of my songwriting career and as it kind of like all these tours took you know I stopped working at the job um after a few years because mm -hmm. my records kept com coming out and anyway but it now like nowadays I just even for the kids I taught, I kind of felt like, well, geez, I really got to get back into this and, and honor the skill that I worked so hard to um, amass in that medium. Oh, and what do they think of when they, like, do they ever find out about the other side of you? Like, do they ever look up your music? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had a few students that, like, because I'm so soft-spoken and kind of like a little bit of a introverted um shy type people like some of the kids felt like they were discovering like a secret identity <laughs> of their teacher when they found me on the internet because like the photographs it was just really funny they're like oh my god <laughs> really fun. um just because it's it's knowing me as like an art teacher like i remember going out and buying like kind of like secretarial like I didn't really know what to wear because I've always been just like this witchy freak. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> I've had too many like normal day jobs, like so with like 
uh, having to get along with the other teachers. And so we got a bunch of like, just, it was funny. Like I look back with um, fondness at that job. Oh, <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, if you're going to go full on witch, like an art teacher is basically the day job in which you do that. <laughs> like, yeah, I was really like... Fun. I was like that's that is where that is perfect though I could imagine it it must have been from what you're saying almost easier to relate to the kids than to the rest of the staff (laughs) I will say that that's true I mean I had two good like I had a few good I got along with a French teacher and the science teacher they were cool but I didn't click with like all of the teachers just because I don't think I'm um I think I get bored really easily mm-hmm. and if I start to space out and daydream and I think that can be frustrating for a lot of like good conversationalists or people that are really <laughs> you know focused and respectful I don't know I'm just always like having I'm working on it like I'm trying to to focus more on and finish sentences I'm always like eight different places at once which is the struggle when being a self-employed multimedia artist, um, for sure. It's like, <laughs> I have like six different desks set up and that helps me. Yes. Station, like mm-hmm. compartmentalize the drawing table where no wet liquids are allowed. Then like the messy oil paint table, mm-hmm. the printer, recording studio corner. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, I don't know if this helps you out at all, but I literally, I have a different candle for each station that I have set up as well. So that that way, when I'm doing the activity at that station, I light that candle. That's a good idea. I like that. Maybe I'm going to try that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I used to candles like a couple of years ago. It was one of my merch um, things. Ooh. But I am... Yeah, I want to get my cauldron down to ten- Tennessee. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, so did you did you make the candles yourself? Did you work with someone to make the candles? I um, made them myself. They're very easy to make. Um, all just soy wax or coconut wax or a blend of the two and essential oils. Ooh. Um, so I get kind of, I get headaches from chemical fragrances. Mm-hmm. And um, so I like to make the hippie candles, and it's really easy, actually, very fun project to do with kids or family or whatever. I was like, that sounds amazing, because I'm I'm much the same way. Where artificial scents tend to give me a headache or make my sinuses go on adventures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really easy. I got the cauldron from Etsy for like fifty bucks, and then you just order like a bag of soy wax and get some mason jars, a hot glue gun, the wicks. I mean, you know, it's an, or you got to like craft projects, but literally once you get the materials, you can make a million candles for free, basically. <laughs> you know, to buy them again and they, they smell better, I think too. Yes. And especially uh, the essential oils thing. Like there's, there's a shop in downtown LA that the first time I walked in, I felt like I'd been transported into like some sort of surrealist movie because it's all just filled with teeny tiny little essential oil jars. 
That sounds like, wonderful. Thousands of, yeah, it's amazing. And so you can like mix your own, like, cause I mix my own little oils just to wear. I think per, like perfume, should, some of the chemically ones should be legal. Like I get so angry on airplanes when it's like the, the, not the essential oil kinds, but the, the other kinds, the, yes. stuff you just, the chemically ones. And you're trapped. Airport, it's just, yeah, it's too much. Um, so uh, Christmas season's a little tough, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of this time of year. So like, took me a while to wake my brain up this morning. Oh, I I know this vibe. My brain is like, is it the holidays yet? It's the solstice, right? And I'm like, yes, I know, brain. I know. <laughs> and I love that, like, even just talking to you about making candles, I was like, I was thinking about in the back of my mind that when we think of musicians, especially people who are not musicians themselves, it's almost like all of the questions that you read in interviews are almost all about the music or what hardships made the music happen as opposed to like mm -hmm. all the other stuff that go on goes on in people's lives that you're like well what about all that other cool stuff yeah I <laughs> like I, I like the premise of the podcast because a lot of DIY musicians like myself are kind of really inspiring entrepreneurs or industrious crafts people and um it takes a lot of self-discipline to kind of be able to make enough to live off of as a self-employed um, full-time musician. And yes. a lot of people I think do like kind of like blame it on luck or talent, but I think it's that with those work ethics. Yes. People like the workaholics who just kind of like to work that will, when you like what you do. I don't know, I'm kind of rambling, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, and also I, I like talking to you about things both within music and outside of music because I think some people also have shame about working outside of music because in some ways, like music will sometimes pay you and pay you well, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. And... I had been thinking a lot about, you know, like the times that it doesn't like, why feel ashamed if you make money doing something else? Yeah, well, especially the the whole thing with the, one of the reasons that I got back into painting was um, like, I put up all these oil painting, like atmospheric landscapes, many of which have since like replaced with other paintings, but, and they all sold like all these oil paintings within mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I never thought, imagine making money as a painter. I mean, <laughs> so oh. it's just the way it is. Like I, I kind of had resigned myself to other um, motivators other than mm -hmm. money from a very early age just because, you know, in my generation or when I was a kid, you, like, you heard from your teachers and family sometimes, you know, you don't you can't make money as an artist or like good luck with that. Right. My parents, my parents happen to be very supportive and some very lucky, but um, still I think they worry even now that both of their kids went into the arts. Um, <laughs> there's a, a writer, um, like a novelist. and Yeah. 
Are your parents in creative fields at all? Or are they just like, well, this is awesome that we made kids who are, but like, we're not in creative fields ourselves. Kind of. Yeah. Um, My dad is a dentist, which I think is a kind of creative field because it's (laughs) yes, very on and you have to like make all these molds like yes. but my mother is an abstract painter Ooh. and witchy woman all around artist type so they're kind of like yin and yang and I think I get a lot of like the OCD from my dad and <laughs> like just that attention to detail that like I think dentistry requires um yes God, I mean, I feel terrible for that sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I yeah. cannot imagine, honestly, like one thinking about the artistry of dentistry. I'm just like, yes, because especially if you're like helping craft, I mean, how people look, how people feel, like everyone pays attention to what your smile looks like. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, that makes sense. But also, I empathize with imagine how stressful it is to have to like put your hand in people's mouths all the time. Yeah. Oh God. Like, <laughs> I, was I, like, it. I mean, I guess you just get used to it, but I, I was know. like, I think it's a very tough job. It's not like, um, like I think people have misconceptions about those types of jobs, but they're kind of like physical. Yes. Like, so like aping people's mouths, like more. Uh, yeah. It's like super intimate because I think about like how intimate it is to share a piece of art or a song with someone, but like your dad's literally reaching in people's mouths. I'm like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's still like, he, the, yeah, I think I can't wait for him to get to retire. Um, yeah, so. Did you ever practice yeah. art with your mom? Like, cause that's cool to see, you know, a parent be an example of like, Hey, I do abstract art. And like, I guess I don't come from an artistic family though. Both of my parents are wonderful. They're both retired DAs. And so when I came oh, wow. to music and therapy, they were like, we love you, but we're very confused. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was wondering, I was like, what's that like to have a parent who who's an artist? It's great. I mean, she taught me how to paint. So she was very um, fun to have as a mother because she's, it was like kind of like growing up with your sister sometimes, but she's very, very different. And so I just saw the world a lot differently because of her. So um, yeah, we, we paint together sometimes or like she's, Definitely, like, Apple didn't fall far from the tree there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's, because I thought about what you said when you, uh, just now, when you said that, how like, informed how you saw the world, and then the 90-year-old woman that you worked with, that all of a sudden, she's like, oh, I'm seeing the world in a different way. I was like, oh, that's so cool, that we can kind of provide lenses for each other to see the world. It really was. It kind of reverberated with me because of so many young people I know are like so tuned out. And um, that's kind of my pet peeve that with, I hate laziness in people. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that drives me crazy the most, but I do envy people that know how to relax. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I uh, I just got a book and I haven't read it yet because it's it's one of my 
holiday break reading books, but it's called How to Do Nothing. And I was fascinated by it because of the title, because I realized I was like, I'm not certain how to do nothing. Like there are certain moments where I think I feel slightly nothingness, like whether it's like relaxing in like the pink salt sauna at the spa or like whether it's after a particularly difficult hike and I'm kind of at the top of the hill just being like, do I remember how to breathe? <laughs> uh, apparently I only do nothing when I'm very warm. Um, but maybe I need to practice like doing nothing at, at a normal body temperature. I was like, I'm unsure of this. I should buy a book and read about it. Yeah. I don't know how to do nothing either. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently my only life tips on that are like, uh, get really warm. <laughs> I can't really get warm where, I... <laughs> well, you're in LA, right? Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> And you're in, you said you're in Tennessee? Right now, I'm in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Oh, what's it like in Nashville? I've actually never been to Nashville. I don't really know yet. I just kind of just got here. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Long story, but um, just, you know, seeing if I like it. Um, but I was living in Massachusetts forever. Also not a warm place. No, I love winter. In fact, I really miss the snow snow, like mm. the big snow and the big ice. Like I like LA a lot, but I don't know if I could deal without having seasons. Um, <laughs> yeah. You mean you don't love the mudslide season or the fire season or? <laughs> no, I think I like the autumn foliage season and the blizzards and stuff. Yeah. Our wonderful array of minor natural disaster seasons. <laughs> I know. I guess those are seasons. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm like, I guess being an LA native, I it snowed here exactly once. And I remember it because my mom woke us up in the middle of the night so we could see the snow and then it stuck the next day and it was on the water slide on my parents' pool. And I just thought that that was the funniest thing that ever happened. Yeah. Wow. It was one time. That's the crazy. one. <laughs> the one snow. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is pretty. It was really pretty. It looked like everything looked enchanted. Like, I was like, now I, I, I mean, I, I don't think I fully get it, uh, but I did get kind of what the calmness is of, like, a fresh snow. Oh, it's so pretty. Yeah, the way the light hits it. Mm -hmm. um, there's no detail on anything. Like, all the pain vanishes or something. <laughs> it just looks so, it looked almost, I remember it looked almost, like, bluish white. Like, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, <sighs> Do you think that being um, like being in different environments influences like the music you make or the art that you end up making? For sure, yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I make very like wintry or autumnal music because mm. most of the time cold where I wrote all my records. I think, mm. So far, do you find that there's a time of year that you end up writing more? Or? winter that's I think why I have so many records it's people <laughs> in warm <laughs> climates it's like it's much easier to stay inside all day when it's um freezing out and hurts to go outside <laughs> I mean I do agree with that I um uh, it's rare that I'm I'm very spoiled in LA 
I am that Californian that like it drops below 70 and I'm like, oh no, it's time to bust out my coat. <laughs> I know. I was in Portugal. It's very warm there too, recently for a concert. And it was like literally 60 degrees out. And like they were all like, aren't you cold? And it, it was like winter in Portugal, 60 degrees. Like, no, I think it's really warm out actually. And people had hats and scarves on. And I was really confused because like 50 degrees even, it's like really warm to me. I think people this Boston got to me. That's so funny. Because I remember the first time I went to Boston, I was trying to like really put on a brave face, but like I kind of couldn't feel like my face, my hands. Like at one point, yeah. I, I, I think I just gave up on like trying to pretend that I wasn't freezing and I hid in my friend's armpit at a bus stop. I was like, it looks like it's warm under there and I'm very short. <laughs> Can I just... <laughs> Oh yeah, stick my face in there. <laughs> really, really cold there. Um, <sighs> but I like it. I mean, Tennessee is a little bit warmer, and there's like mini seasons. So. Yeah, I think I like. There's an Icelandic word for, and I cannot remember what it is. It literally means window weather, where it's like weather that looks beautiful when you're inside, and it sounds like that's oh. like the inspirational. <laughs> Oh, what I wonder what that is. That would be a good name for a record, right? I feel like that sound. I feel like it's in my text thread with with one of my friends. Let me look it up. Glugavader. <laughs> well, that's not that pretty, unfortunately. I don't know if I'd name a record that, but sadly, cool no. Icelandic is one of those really fantastic languages where the cadence of the sentences is so beautiful and then occasionally mm -hmm. you say like one of the words and I think it's probably just because I have an American accent but when I say one of the words it just sounds like syllables all crashing into each other yeah <laughs> sounds like a car wreck of of sounds whereas when you actually hear someone speaking it fluently you're like oh that's so lyrical and lovely <laughs> Um, that's interesting. I was thinking about when you were saying that you were writing when you were inside and that you didn't want to like go outside because it's, it's quite wintry, but do you also produce your own records? Like when you're writing, are you thinking of the production work as well? Do you work with other collaborators? Like what's kind of your process like with that? It really depends on the project. Um, for my solo work, I, I do think about the production and early on and I demo songs like on a computer like after I write them on a computer where I will then write harmonies and fool around with instrumentation. So my demos actually sound like releasable, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll go into a studio to get better fidelity or right. with different players um, with the ideas and some of the melodies already written for instrumentation parts. Um, you know, with collab, I don't really... I'm not, I write, I write alone, but I've mm. done some sonic collaborations, um, like the Drone Flower Project with my friend Steve Brodsky is like a Sacred Bones put it out, but it's got some covers and it's got a more ambient sound. Mm. That sounds really fascinating. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it sounds like in some ways both of the pursuits that you have are like really calmingly solitary. <laughs> sometimes it's calming, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's really maddening and I wish, you know, it's uh it is what it is like <laughs> good days, bad days at work where you're frustrated and you feel like everything you're making is ugly or sounds terrible but you just that's part of art making is to the perseverance to just yes. keep making it and letting it go well and I find that I don't know if this happens to you but sometimes I'll I'll work on something and think that it's Terrible or genius? Like, really, either way. I, I don't think when I'm working on something, I'm ever like, well, this is medium okay. Um, but then it's only if I leave it for a day or two. So it's almost like I come back and pretend to be a new person. Um, or maybe I am because it's a day or two later. That then I can hear it, not more objectively, but I can hear it through new ears and be like, oh, I know where that's supposed to go. Or like, oh, I can shift this around. Like, it's almost like I have to leave it alone for a while. Yeah. I think stepping away from art is a very good practice to have to gain some clarity through distance. Yes. What I was curious what inspired you to start working on music when you were kind of stepping away from fine art for a bit. Well, I actually started writing and playing music um, when I was about 14. Mm-hmm. So they were concurrent. Um, practices though I took fine art more seriously I always wanted to be a painter Um, like but then I just got really into songwriting as well it became like an addiction or Mm -hmm. I really just really enjoyed it and so that kind of hit me by surprise it hit a few people like my family too Um, I don't think anybody expected me to become a musician especially Mm -hmm. with my personality type yeah (sighs) I mean it's funny because I'm not sure what musicians you socialized with but I I found that most of my friends who play music like I would say that though I'm introverted I love one-on-one conversation and so like I come across as way more outgoing if you meet me one-on-one whereas in a group I'll clam up but I would say that most of the musicians I know are actually quite introverted (laughs) yeah yeah it's just a weird yeah it's a it's a weird dichotomy like one of I think of one of my good friends who same thing one-on-one I mean she's extraordinarily charming but on stage it's like I love watching her on stage because it's like all of a sudden she taps into something else like something that's outside of you know kind of an everyday interaction with her that like I never see it except for when she's performing I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's a good way to put it, tapping into something else. Yeah, like, because I'm not sure, do you, it's funny, I get extraordinarily nervous before I perform, and I was like, I don't know if you feel the same way, like, how do you feel when you're performing? When, after the first song or two, once I start to, like, lock in with the groove and the audience, I'm, I enjoy it, but I'm usually nervous, like, leading up to a concert in the through the first song like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. and then I'm like oh then I find it enjoyable once I'm actually 
playing, if it sounds good on stage, it's a big plus. If people are really into it, it's a big plus because it's like the energy thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I I feel similarly where once I realized that I've opened my mouth and started playing an instrument and have not in fact died, that maybe things will go okay. <laughs> it's like an on-ramp and then you're like, oh, okay, now we're here. Okay. <laughs> I love that you said that you didn't expect to be a musician because in some ways it's like, it's almost the reverse of the usual story of like, oh, well, you know, I had to make money in another way. And then like my music made money, but it's almost like your music made you a living. And then you got to discover like, oh, my painting actually can make me money as well. Yeah, it was like a plus because I was doing all these stupid things. Like, I mean, not to make candle making that is totally cool. But <laughs> I mean, I went to like... I was just like, I don't know why I wasn't thinking of the most obvious thing. I was thinking about all these stupid things like the, like more when I really was the, the most obvious thing I was the best at other than music was like painting and drawing. And it just, mm -hmm. um, I don't know why I was so, um, I think of just fear, fear of failure can be very powerful. Yes. Like. I was like more, yeah, I think just fear of put, like putting something out there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, it sounds almost like if you did put paintings out there and they didn't sell, that would be very painful. And so you're like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, yeah, it can be like one of the biggest things for a lot of people, re a reason why people don't do something or like, They'll work on records and never release them and so mm -hmm. just keep on working on them forever stuff like that is there's it's like resistance um there's a book called the art of resistance i think it's Ooh. a lot about like breaking down the little devices that we set up to um block our creative progress but anyway yeah now just gotta plow through it now I want to add that to my reading list. I was like, now I can learn about breaking through resistance as well as doing nothing, which I think like both are probably pretty, pretty valuable skills. Yeah, they're, that's funny. They're opposite books, resistance. God, I want to look that up and I want to, I'll have to ask my friend Magnus if there's any other uh, very graceful words to describe winter weather because somehow I have the feeling that Icelandic has more than just one word for that. I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. I love how language informs like what's important in a culture too. <laughs> like, I think about that sometimes about how we use our words and images and how specific they are to like where we're from. Yeah, totally. I was wondering when you did, when you did your own art, do you ever do art like for other people or inspired by other people's work, like for album art or things like that? Well, I did my, no, I mean, I did, uh, my last album cover but I've done I've been working on some commissioned paintings so that's for other people but generally like um I want to stay I want to get gallery representation I think and try to nice. keep it like not yeah I'm, I never I was an illustration major but I think I identify more as like a painter there's a difference, I think, between the two of them that I didn't know when I was a kid. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like illustrations sometimes like are not left up to the imagination. I was gonna. But anyway, say- I think. I- Go on. Oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was just. I want to let you finish your thought because my my mind immediately went. Oh wow! Like there's a lot of different things to navigate within the music industry and within the art industry that in some ways are parallel, but also are their own like little galaxies, and that you'd have to learn how to kind of like navigate both of them. Yeah, it's. Um, I feel like there isn't enough time in the day sometimes for all the things I want to do or enough energy to do it. So that's the one trick about balancing the medium war or something yeah because that's I mean it's funny because the podcast is like why not both and sometimes I think like one of the only reasons why not to do both is like there's only one you and so it's like after a while like time and energy are are in a way infinite but also finite because they're contained with one person yeah exactly so you just have to kind of I do prioritize so I try not to take on too many things. Like I started to become an animation person and I said, you know, Marissa, you're never going to have enough time to really get good at this. So I, I kind of stopped doing claymation animation for a while just because mm-hmm. taking up too much away from my music. Stuff like Got that. it. Well, and claymation animation is, that's intense because like each frame you have to manipulate the physical objects. Yeah. Oh my god. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people, well, I guess it's interesting like working in like music production or claymation production, it's like once you're actually kind of on the ground working and you see the details that go into each of those, you're like, "Oh my god." <laughs> yeah, it's really imp- it's a beautiful art form. It really is. When you did your album art, was it something that you'd made prior or was it something that was inspired by the album? The latter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Kind of just decided to finally paint my album cover after. But, you know, I think it was just a stormy record, so mm-hmm. I didn't want to put another photo on it. Yeah, I was curious about that. Like in the past when you'd worked on your album art, did you collaborate with others or did you design the art? I usually like had a part in it, whether it was the graphic design or the choice of the photo. Or, yeah, I always had a bit of a part in the design, but mm-hmm. never the, yeah. Got it. I was wondering, I was like, what do you think is the most challenging part of balancing those two? Like, it sounds like time is definitely a big challenge but I was like Fo- are there- yeah time and focus time and focus do you ever kind of like I don't know if this happens to you but if I'm working on a project and I either start losing focus or interest like I kind of bounce to another project it almost sounds like with your stations you could kind of like bounce to different ones yeah exactly I just try to get up from get up every bit couple hours or try not to work on one thing too long Mm -hmm. so then it starts to lose its zest I think Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether it's like a song or something else one does it ever happen to you that you're working on something in one medium but then it inspires you to like move to the other yeah definitely 
I love that feeling. <laughs> I I was struck when you said that you weren't sure if it was a good thing to help your students get into art school. And so I was wondering, like, what would you advise for someone who is starting on that path? <laughs> Be prepared um, for a lot of hard work. And like, I mean, yeah, it's just not for everybody. But if you really like what you do, you don't need a lot of other things. Um, I mean, I've had more success than, like, like than other people that I know in the music stuff. And um, but it's still like no matter where you are on the hierarchy or whatever, there's always somebody doing better, you know. Or, mm -hmm. And it's just about finding your purpose from within, so that you choice of artistic careers and a soul crushing um yes <laughs> like it can be well yeah if you're looking uh, it sounds like if you're looking just for like external signs that you're doing a good job it's kind of like sometimes you're gonna get those and sometimes you're gonna get the opposite <laughs> so <laughs> exactly having having like an internal compass I don't know if you find it valuable, but I also have several friends that if I'm working on something, I can show it to them, like, and I trust them with their judgment that, like, they have my best interest in mind. Yeah. What would you recommend for fellow musicians who are getting into music now? Because the music world is so strange right now. Oh, I have no idea. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, just not to do it because you want to be a rock star. Like, right. you just really have to enjoy writing music and enjoy the process because the rewards are not, like, um, that often. Mm -hmm. And it's just about, yeah, you can't do things for the product. Gotcha. I like that to kind of, like, focus on the process. So if you enjoy the mm -hmm. process, do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for joining us on Why Not Both. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Why Not Both. You can like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, and you can also find us on social media under WNB the podcast, and that's on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you again for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.